You're listening to Theology Untucked with Tim and Caleb. Our aim, as always, is to help the people of God understand, love, and enjoy the Word of God. For more information, visit us at theologyuntucked.com. Well, welcome again to Theology Untucked. I'm your host, Tim Easley. I am flying solo for the night. Caleb is not going to be joining us for this particular episode of Theology Untucked. Typically, we do present on things together, but this is one of those aspects of theology that we find quite important, and that is that we both present on things separately and then come together to discuss some of the differences we may have and we will find that hopefully helpful for one another and even more by extension helpful to you our audience tonight's question that we're going to be uh, working over is the question what is faith faith is one of those words that unfortunately in the english language has been so worked over that we almost do not even understand what it means anymore in fact one of the most basic misconceptions about faith is with regards to the fact that you just it's just about something that you agree with i have faith that tomorrow is going to be good we actually even uh, mix it up with the concept of temporal hope but the reality of faith is actually far deeper than that and it's far more complex than that Uh, i fear that in the church we desire to oversimplify things and so in our pursuit of oversimplification we take such a concept a beautiful concept like faith and we turn it into something like just just agreeing that something is true so much so is this misunderstood that the idea of a confession of faith is somehow reduced to merely a liturgical agreeance. For instance, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe that he came and died? Do you believe that he rose again? And people conflate this, agreeing with it as a reality, with salvation. And unfortunately, it shortchanges our concept. It shortchanges the concept of biblical faith itself. And so I'm not going to be dealing with scripture so much uh, in this presentation as much as uh, that is going to be coming in future episodes, but I will be engaging far more in the concept itself. And so this would be more of a theological musing, if you will, that I'm going to welcome you into. Uh, This is one of those aspects of the Christian walk that is quite personal to me. For many years, I held on to this concept of faith that I had heard through a smattering of of references and um, heard it, whether from VBS or whether from from well-meaning preachers that just would, would not take the time to sit down and define this term for me. And so I have made it kind of one of my one of my goals in life to just about anyone that I'm ever given responsibility to preach, uh, to preach uh, in the presence of, to express to them the nature of saving faith. I I know growing up it was one of those one of those parts of the Christian walk that just simply terrified me. I would hear pastors present on what it is to be saved, and like most Christians, I struggled with the assurance of my salvation for many many years. Uh, It was one of those things that I thought I would never find the answer to. I thought I would never uh, find solid ground on which I could say, here is my salvation here and nowhere else. 
And I think a lot of the reason that I struggled through that so much, and many Christians do, is that they are sold a concept of salvation, a concept of faith itself that is sub-biblical. It is this idea that if you agree with these things, if you agree with them, then then you are in, then you are safe. And so I found myself, prayer after prayer after prayer, trying to trying to tell God how much I, I knew to be true that Jesus rose from the dead, that he is truly the Son of God, pretty much anything that the Nicene Creed would say, anything that the Apostles' Creed would say, and I would just, I, I would just assure God that I am, I am absolutely in agreement that these things are true. And it would be so unfulfilling, and it would be so disappointing, and it would come back over and over and over again, I would never find an answer to it. This was particularly frustrating to me, and one of those one of those parts of my life that I honestly wish I came out of much sooner. But unfortunately, uh, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, it took many years to work through. And uh, coming down, I'll never forget when this finally clicked for me, this, this concept of faith not being something I work myself up to in agreement with God. It was, it was in defining terms properly. What I was conflating and what several teachers that I was speaking to were conflating was this concept of faith with the concept of confession. To confess something is to agree with it. I confess that Jesus is Lord. I confess that he rose from the dead. I confess that he is the savior of the world and that there is no other hope to be placed on anyone else. But that is not enough. You see, the thing is, Satan knows all these things. He agrees that Jesus is the son of God. The demons believe this. So the question has to sit in our minds, what makes us different? What makes us different than Satan? Satan has a good theology with regards to the nature of God, with regards to what Jesus came here to do, with regards even to the end of the world. He can read scripture just as we can. The demons know that their time is coming. They spoke to Christ of this plainly. They know who he is. He is the son of God. They know all of these things. They agree with them. And when we conflate something like agreeing with, with salvation, this is where our problem truly comes in. So what makes us different? What makes us different? I want you to sit and think about that question for a second. Because if all that we are speaking about when we speak of saving faith is that we agree that God is real, or that we have been somehow philosophically convinced of the of the arguments towards God's existence and towards his creative nature, towards his salvific abilities, even towards his accomplishments, even believing completely that these things occurred and that these things are real and that they are attainable in some sense and that they can be applied to people. Agreeing with all of these things will still not make us different than demons. It will not make us different than Satan himself. And so what is it that makes all the difference? And that is really what I want to get at today. So I really want to talk to you. If you're one of those people who like to take notes uh, and you want to just write this down, I would encourage you to do so. There are really three aspects to saving faith. 
and I want to walk you through them as if it's somebody that's growing up. So I have four children. I seek to teach them both through direct scripture reading as well as discussing with them openly any topic when it comes to salvation, any topic that comes to to the nature of the world as it is, how God created it, the scriptures, and all of these things. I want them to know the content of what it is we believe. This is simply the first step. The, simply the first step is the, the nature of knowing what things are to be believed. And this is, this is where we come in and we say, this is what Sunday school is for, or this is what the catechisms are for, this is what theology is for, this is honestly even what a lot of sermons are for, um, with, with regards to people who are coming to simply learn who is it that Christ is, what is it that God is doing, what is the scriptures, all of these things. All of these questions come into the realm of the content of faith, and this is what the Protestant reformers would refer to as notitia, this concept of, of knowing the content of those things that are to be believed. This would include in all aspects of scripture, all nature of Christ, all the the definitions of the Trinity, pretty much everything you come down to the creeds, to the to the breakdown of, of the nature of salvation, every part of theology, a lot of the stuff that we talk about. But with regards to salvation itself, this really comes down to the reality of, of knowing and, uh, and embracing the knowledge of what those things are. Obviously, this is not saving faith. Being able to regurgitate these facts about God or these facts about salvation does not save anybody in the least. Otherwise, in order to save people, all we need to do is send them to Sunday school. Maybe that's some of our problem. All we need to do is just catechize them and then all would be well. This becomes a real problem because if we lower saving faith to this level, then once again, how are we different than the demons? They know these things too. Just knowing them does not, just knowing the content of the Christian faith does not save somebody. There's a second level. The second level is to ascend to that knowledge. In other words, to agree with it. And this is where almost everyone's definition takes the exit ramp and refuses to travel any further more down the road. Do you agree that these things are true? Why, yes. Now, it becomes for us even the basis of, of membership to our churches. Here is our statement of faith. Do you agree with this? Do you concur? Do you ascend to it? And this is really the concept of simply agreeing with it. Now, confession is very, very closely related to this because confession, unless you are familiar, is not simply listing out your sins to God. It's agreeing with God about what they are. Confession is to agree with something, and so the basis of this second level is we've got the knowledge of what the content of the faith is, but now we have, we agree that these things are real. But this doesn't save you in the least, does it? Let me give you a bit of a metaphor with it. If you are on a sinking ship, and you see a lifeboat over there in floating onto the side of the ship, just simply agreeing that it is a lifeboat and it is capable of saving you does not save you. 
it is actually quite astounding that we will quickly recognize the fallacy with regards to something like that than we will in our own theology. So actually, let's extend that metaphor just a little bit more, and let's put it both directions. For the first level of faith, just knowing the content of faith, is really just coming to learn that a lifeboat exists to learn that it's capable of something, to know that a lifeboat's purpose is to be here to ensure that should the normal ship sink, you can crawl into this and find life. That is the knowledge of the faith, the content of the faith. The second level is to ascend to that, to say, you know what? I agree. That's true. That is a lifeboat. It's floating out there. That lifeboat could even save me. It has the ability to do so, and I know if I stay on this ship, I'm going to sink and perish. That is ascending to the knowledge. That's, that's agreeing with it. And yet that doesn't save you. And we know that when it comes to something like that. But when we come to saving faith, we seem to think that this is an okay place to end. What kind of person stands on the deck of a sinking ship looking at a lifeboat saying, boy, I tell you, that lifeboat out there, that sure is able to save me. That sure is, I, I will just, I will be in full agreement as much as I can possibly muster that that truly is a lifeboat. But that doesn't save And this is where the demons are. They agree with who Christ is, but they will never rise to the third level. They will never, ever find resting faith. The final and third level of this is the concept of reliance, of trust, of finding Christ not only defined as Savior, but as personal Savior. He is mine, and I am his. And resting in him, I do not try to seek salvation on my own, and I will not seek it in another. Here we can extend the metaphor even further of a lifeboat, where you may indeed jump into the water and find in the water bits and pieces of wood and other things that promise to be able to help you float and save you. And yet every single other one of these things will let you down. These are the hopes that disappoint. And yet the scriptures speak of Christ as a hope that doesn't disappoint. This is the concept of this lifeboat metaphor. Now be careful about this metaphor. Don't take it too far because getting into a lifeboat is a work in and of itself. And yet this level of faith is not a work. In fact, it is so antithetical to the concept of work that it is instead looking at the work of the other. It is not working ourselves up to this faith. This faith is a gift. It is not something that you find in your heart. It is something that the regenerated heart naturally will do. It is the opposite of what our parents did in the Garden of Eden. It is the opposite of what you or I would have done in the Garden of Eden. This is to simply trust God. When we come to scripture, we see this everywhere. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. That's Proverbs 3. Abraham believed God. And rather than establishing a city of his own design here in this world, he sought to live in tents instead. 
Abraham believed God, he trusted him, and he then followed him because that's what trusting people do. They follow the one they trust. And the one he trusted was sending him to the promised land. And so what did he do? Abraham picked up everything and walked. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. This is where we get into the definition of not just of faith itself, but of what it is actually doing. Faith itself rests in the power of Christ. When it comes to salvation, faith itself is not an accomplisher. It's the reception of what is accomplished. It is God's grace has come to us and our faith simply is there as the receptacle for it. There is not an accomplishment of this faith. There is not a working up of our minds to this faith. We do not earn it. We do not find it. We do not manufacture it. It is a gift. This faith on Christ does not look like something that's like the first two, where we have just, we can have someone teach us the content of the faith and then we can agree with it that it's reality. Both of these things are very more natural. This level of faith, though, of saying, I personally will trust and rely on these things, not just to know them, not just to believe that they are indeed true, because that's not enough. Faith actually comes to us and not only knows about these things and assents to these things, but I will now personally trust in them and them alone to accomplish salvation for me on my behalf. Everywhere you turn in scripture that speaks of the gospel speaks on this subject. One of my favorites is Philippians chapter 3. It is a place that not many people settle down in, but I would encourage you to certainly have a bookmark in or one of those one of those fancy little things that come in a Bible and just stick that bookmark right in there and consider it for the next week or so. Work through this passage, Philippians chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open there to see it. Because Paul here describes to the church in Philippi the nature of this faith. This is a faith that not only agrees that indeed Jesus has surpassing worth, it's, uh, and it's not just simply knowing that Jesus Christ has this surpassing worth. It is actually something where Paul has risen to, not on his own right. I want you to see what happens here. So in Philippians chapter 3, we're faced with a circumstance in the church where um, Paul is warning them to watch out for those who are evildoers in the church, uh, the nature of who those who worship God by the Spirit of God uh, are the actual true circumcision here. So we're going to start here in Philippians chapter 3, verse 3, and I want us to get up to verse 10 and 11, actually. Probably 11 is where we're going to stop right there. 9 is kind of one of the main focuses here, but let's start in verse 3. We are the true circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God, and glory in Christ Jesus. And here is really the, 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 the impetus here to put no confidence in the flesh. That, that concept of confidence is really the, the focus of that third definition of faith itself. It's not just knowing the content of faith. It is not just simply assenting to that and agreeing with it. It is confidence. Where is your confidence placed? And here he says, we put no confidence in the flesh. And so he says, well, I tell you what, if you think you have reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Verse five, he says, I was circumcised on the 
eighth day. Now here we start listing off legalities. Here we start listing off legalism, the idea of putting confidence in self, which is really what what a, a, a gospel of works is all about. It's placing confidence in something that can't save, and that is either the self or the pastor or the pope or whoever it is. He says here, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm of the people of Israel. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm even, as he defines, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a person, not veal. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. And as to righteousness, under the law, blameless. This is where my confidence was put. And he says, but whatever gain I had... I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of this surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Now, stop right there for just a second because here we are talking about something where he's not just saying I'm learning something new about who Jesus is, nor is he saying I'm simply agreeing that who Jesus is is worth it. Now, both of those things are necessary for saving faith. And this I want to emphasize. Both of those things must be there. You must know who Christ is. You must because there's no other name under heaven by which you should be saved. You must know that God is the one to save you. You must know these things. They must be preached to you. How could someone believe unless someone preaches? And again, how could they preach unless they're being sent? So they must know this, but then they must also agree that it is the way of life. So both of these are not bad. And I don't want you to hear me say that. They are necessary. They are good. And so going to Sunday school for these kids is extremely important, or whatever the situation is in your specific tradition, whether it is through catechisms or whatever the case may be, people need to learn these things. And on top of that, they need to learn them to the point of agreeing that these things are actually true. That would be marvelous. And this is where we tend to leave off things, but we call them to something higher especially if we see evidence that the Spirit of God is working on this person, we simply call them to rely on Christ for salvation and nothing more. You want to see it in Scripture. It's in the very next verse. I want to be found in him, this is verse 9, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, my own, right? This is confidence in the flesh. This is confidence in self. This is putting that personal trust and reliance that belongs in Christ, it's putting it on the self. And he says, so I don't want that righteousness that's my own that comes from the law. That's the last thing I want because I can't save myself. The last half of verse 9 defines it outright. It says, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that's from God that depends on faith. Now, this, this brings into the concept of righteousness. Again, we brought this up with regards to Abraham. He believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Here, we have Paul saying the same things. I, I have faith in Christ and that righteousness, not even my own, came from God. This is a righteousness that depends on faith. And so here we get where the actual salvific exchange takes place where one's sins are imputed or are placed upon Christ and his righteousness is imputed or placed upon you. That is salvation. And to simply 
lower it to the point of saying it is knowledge of things or an agreeance with things and then it's just paying off your sins and then we kind of leave it there we are doing a great disservice to those that we aim to teach both of those things are part of it necessary parts of it but they are not sufficient and so when we come and say to somebody when they say what must i do to be saved if we are simply saying you must believe that jesus is this or that jesus has done that or that jesus loves you that is incorrect that is not the gospel the gospel of salvation, especially when we're speaking of the nature of salvation, specifically with reference to faith, f just simply agreeing with it is not enough. One must believe on Christ. One must rely on him. And so this is where I would actually put out that the word rely or even the word trust is actually a better translation of how the New Testament uses this word. This trust on Christ, this reliance on Christ, this belongs to me as a believer, that Christ's righteousness belongs to me. Not because of anything good I have done. Not because I even worked up this trusting in Christ myself, but only and solely because God himself was gracious to me and lifted me up from the miry clay. That is faith. As scripture puts it, it is not a blind leap. And this is where we get into some of the misconceptions. A blind leap is gullibility and the scriptures never, ever speak in good light on this. They speak of idol worshippers as gullible. They speak of the necessity of doing blind leaps with idol worship. Of, of any other religion is itself gullibility. And what do we have in salvation in the gospel, but the most unique message in all of human history, the one message that mankind would never make up, and that is we cannot do it. And we must rely on the God who can do it on our behalf. This is where we come in and we challenge the way we look at the law. We challenge the way we look at the gospel while the law comes in and says, do, 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 do. The gospel comes in and says, it is done. And here is your savior. This is the one in whom you should place your trust. This is the one on whom you should rely. He is the lifeboat. And I pray every single one of you within the sound of my voice, find yourself in that lifeboat. Do not suffice to define the lifeboat as a lifeboat. Do not suffice to simply learn what it is. Do not suffice to simply agree that it is a lifeboat be in it be in christ and you will find rest for your souls and grace without measure if you would like to read about this topic further a recommendation that i would give to you is to find the book all of grace by charles spurgeon it is perhaps one of the best written pastoral works on this concept it's not strictly a systematic theologian writing down the the definition of these things it is it is simply a, a pastoral message to to work through this concept of salvation itself so i'd highly recommend it you can find it for free just about anywhere online monergism.com is a great place to go um, and uh, just search for charles spurgeon all of grace you can find it just about anywhere 
And that wraps up our first solo episode of Theology Untucked. Thank you for joining me. I look forward to joining together with Caleb as we chew over these topics together. And I do uh, hope that you were able to grab his version of this as well. Uh, One of the most important aspects of the church is to be able to learn from a multiplicity of sources and to bring them together. And so we aim to even emulate that in our our, uh, show here. And so if you have any other questions that you would like entertained in this way that we can deal with in the future episodes, do certainly send them along to our email address. You can email me, uh, tim at theologyuntucked.com or Caleb as well at Caleb at theologyuntucked.com. Our prayer goes out to all of you. I pray that God works in all of us within the sound of my voice, saving faith upon Christ himself. Get into that lifeboat, stay into it, and hold on because it's going to be one heck of a ride. Lord's blessings to all of you. Thank you for listening to Theology Untucked. Join us each week as we engage in all things theological, biblical, and cultural. These are the types of conversations we should be having in the church today, and we aim to play our part. Also, we'd love to hear from you. If you have a question you'd like us to address, or a prayer request, please send them to us. You can reach me at Caleb at TheologyUntucked.com. Or you can reach me at Tim at TheologyUntucked.com. Do note that your prayer requests remain strictly confidential. We will not be sharing them on the show. For more information or to support the show, please visit TheologyUntucked.com. Lord's blessings to you all.